This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. For Thanksgiving this year, as we often do, my family traveled to Minnesota to share Turkey Day with my wife's parents. And because um, I come back for Sunday morning and they maximized time with grandma and grandpa, we always take two cars. So my wife and the kids drove up in the minivan, and I drove up in our Toyota Prius. Um, our Prius is a 2005. It, it was a great car, um, but it's kind of, we knew it was kind of at the end of its life cycle, right? And so um, we have been for the last few months um, looking online for cars, and we did one test drive in town, and you know how you start delaying that maintenance that you really normally should do, but putting $1,000 into fixing the muffler seems like a bad idea when you don't want to keep the car long term. That's kind of where we were at. So Saturday, we had a little bit extra time before I was going to come back home, and I said, why don't we just go to a dealership in, in, in Minnesota where my wife's family lives just to see what they have. And, and take the Prius because, you know, if something crazy happens and we find a perfect car, we can trade it in and, and move on with our lives. So we go to the dealership, and um, they actually have a bunch of cars that we like, and we were looking for a particular model, and um, they, they have a bunch of those that are used that are exciting. And so we said, well, let's just, let's just see, I mean, what we might get for the Prius in trade-in value. So we said, you know what, we want to explore this a little further, and we give the guy the keys to the Prius, and we say, you know, he says, you sit here, I'll go out, check it out, come back, and let you know what we might be able to give you for it. Great. So we sit down, and he comes back really fast. <laughs> and, and he says, um, I know this is weird, but I can't get it to turn on. Um, I know you drove here in the Prius, so maybe the key that you gave me, you know, the battery-powered keys, maybe the battery died in the key. We said, well, we have two keys with us. I guess that's possible. So we gave him the other key. Um, and he went back out, and we started laughing. We said, wouldn't it be funny if we drove to the dealership and it died in the parking lot before we stop laughing? <laughs> so we couldn't get the Prius to start. And so we said, well, maybe this is a sign from God that um, I can't drive home unless I have a new car. Um, so uh, no kidding, um, this is us saying goodbye to our old car, which we couldn't move out of the parking lot. We show that picture for me? Um, uh, and I don't know what's happening with the Prius today. It's somewhere. Um, and then this is us saying uh, hello to our new car in my in-law's driveway. So um, we were really quite excited about that, not how we imagined that was going to go. Um, but it was abundantly clear as we sat in the dealership and our um, previous car would not turn on anymore that it was time for a fresh start, right? Uh, and, and I think that is the situation we find ourselves in Genesis 9. So the world has been renewed, restored, recreated, and Noah, as the one righteous person, has offered a sacrifice to, um, to change God's mind about how He's going to deal with the evil in humanity. Uh, and then um, we get what sounds like a, a, a reset on the story of creation, right? Everything's renewed, and then we kind of start back over. And I hope you noticed, as we read in Genesis 9 this morning, uh, that a lot of what we heard sounded kind of familiar, 
right? God says, oh, by the way, um, they are on the top of a mountain, because remember the Noah's Ark ends in the mountains of Ararat. They're on the top of a mountain where God is speaking to the first human ancestors, like the Garden of Eden on a mountain where God speaks to the first human ancestors in that creation story. Uh, and notice the echoes of Genesis 1, God blessed them and said, be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth. That sounds kind of familiar. Um, we get this language of the fear and dread resting on animals and of birds and everything that creeps in the ground um, so that they're scared of humans and into our hands they are delivered. In the first chapter of Genesis 1, we were told that we were to subdue the earth and have dominion over it. Um, we get some instruction about food Right? In, in both Genesis 1 and here in Genesis 9, God gives us the green plants for food. Uh, but something is different uh, in Genesis 9. Um, we're told, every moving thing that lives shall be food for you. Just as I gave you the green plants, now I give you everything. This is really interesting. There are some of us who would say it was worth a world-ending flood for us to have hamburgers, right? Um, but, but the intent here is, is actually it's a concession, right? It's a concession that God recognizes people will continue to be violent. We heard that in the last chapter, right, that the inclination of our hearts will still be towards evil and violence. And so, God says, I'm going to make this concession for you and let you do violence to animals. You can eat the animals. Um, and then we get this really interesting language about um, reckoning that the animals can't kill you or there will be a reckoning. Uh, and then we get this language um, where we're, said, we're told that God will require a reckoning if a human sheds another human's life, um, another human's blood. By the way, um, again, Hebrew snob, um, but sometimes our translations intentionally use gender-inclusive language. So there's something that's masculine they translate as, as, as gender neutral, and it can sometimes make you miss the point of the passage. So here um, we're told, uh, this, is, this is verse um, 5, for your own lifeblood I will surely require a reckoning. From every animal I will require it, and from human beings, each one for the blood of another, I will require a reckoning for human life. What it actually says is, um, every man and for his brother I will require a reckoning, the only time we've heard the word brother in the whole Old Testament so far was like 77 times in the story of Cain and Abel, right? So, um, it's another echo of that earlier creation story. Uh, and, and then um, we get the language of God making us in His image. So, again, these echoes of the past, God's sort of hitting a reset. God's saying you need a fresh start, um, but some things need to be different. Some things need to be different. Uh, I, I came across a really interesting article um, um, by a French author named Cécile Pichon. I'm probably saying that wrong. Um, and she talks about something called the fresh start effect. So she quotes Katie Milkman, a professor at the Wharton School of the University of Pennsylvania, who has shown that certain anniversaries or the start of a new year, for example, have a symbolic and psychological effect that makes it easier to create new habits. It's called the fresh start effect. A major change, such as moving somewhere new or changing careers, can have the same kind of symbolic effect. Since it feels like you're starting a whole new life, you might as well change a bunch of other small elements at the same time. Tidy up the house, go back to the gym, take more time for yourself, and make new friends. 
Fresh starts are moments when you're highly motivated and it seems easier to set things in motion. The first change gets you going and then the rest follow naturally. Okay, this kind of rings true for us, right? And we can see how maybe this is the intent here in Genesis. There's a, a, as dramatic a fresh start as you can get. And maybe all of the habits and hang-ups and hiccups um, and, and hurts that are troubling humanity, maybe they'll be different because of this fresh start. But Cecile says this, she says, if you're running from something, maybe a fresh start isn't a good idea. Many people long to hit the reset button. It's only human to yearn for the opportunity to start over. But the question remains, is it simply an attempt to run away from your issues? If escaping your problems is your goal, then starting over may not be such a good idea. If you haven't taken time to understand what isn't working for you, your past will catch up with you. It's tempting to switch companies when your relationships are strained or you feel overwhelmed, but if you don't explore the reasons why things aren't working, those problems are likely to keep cropping up. We all know people um, who get frustrated at work and leave their place of employment and say, you just can't believe how bad it was there. And then they find a new job. And then six months or a year later, they're saying, I'm just so frustrated with work. You can't believe how bad it is there. Um, We all know people who um, have a new best friend every couple of years, right? And then they have a falling out and then a new best friend and then a falling out. And they can't figure out why it keeps happening to them. We know folks that uh, get married and then get divorced and then get remarried and then get divorced and get remarried, and they can't figure out why they can't make it work. It said the definition of insanity is doing the same thing over and over again and expecting different results. Uh, And I think we all are a little bit insane, aren't we? I mean, let's be honest. All of us have some place in our life where we do the same thing over and over again and expect it to be different, where we fall into the same pattern of sin or of a broken relationship or of a frustration um, in our work or whatever it might be. Um, We're all a little bit insane. Here's the good news. God is not. And in this story, as God provides a reset for the world, as God offers a fresh start, the the fundamental difference is not that the people have changed because of what God has done. The fundamental difference is that God is going to be different. God knows that the fresh start we need, the beginning of that process of change will come not from us, but from Him. Uh, And God models this for us in Genesis in kind of a dramatic and shocking way. God makes the first covenant. Now, you might get a hint that covenants are important because of the name of our church, right? We really like covenants. Uh, So, covenant really simply is a sacred agreement, um, usually between two parties. Sometimes it's just a promise one party makes to the other. We often talk about marriage as a covenant, right? A promise that we make to each other. But in Scripture, um, God often makes covenants. This is the beginning of another pattern that, that we see first here in Genesis chapter 9. And, and what's striking is that God's covenant limits His choices. 
Uh, you know, the old adage, can God make a rock so big he can't pick it up? Um, well, God can make a promise so strong he can't break it. Uh, and, and this is a huge theme throughout the entire story of Scripture. Um, beginning right here, God makes a covenant, a promise with Noah, with his sons, with all life and with all life that will follow, that never again will he destroy the earth by flood. By the way, um, it's difficult to express how dramatically different this is from the other flood stories that Moses, who wrote this book, would have known at his time. Um, my favorite ancient flood story that predates the Bible is, I think I mentioned last week, the story of Gilgamesh. And the story of Gilgamesh, um, we get an account of, of, a, of an earlier version of the flood, and the gods who make the flood are, are make the flood because they're just annoyed. Humans are noisy and dirty. That kind of makes sense. Uh, and so, uh, they decide they're going to destroy all humanity, and then they start the flood, and they are terrified of it. And so, uh, through a lot of the story of the flood, the gods in the story of Gilgamesh are literally hiding in a corner crying while the flood's going on, waiting for it to stop, right? Uh, and when it's over, they don't say, let's not do that again because they make a promise. They say, let's not do it again because they're just scared. But, but here, our God says, I'm going to limit myself. Boy, there are amazing questions that we don't have time to deal with right now, but that we'll come back to later, I promise, uh, about this. Um, what happens when God limits His own choices? What happens when sin and violence grow on the earth again and, spoiler warning, they're going to? Will God just allow evil to continue? What, what, what happens when um, violence gets so bad that once again we're at that point where it would be more compassionate to put us out of our misery than to allow it to continue and grow? Will God just let us suffer? Well, what's going to happen? Because we don't actually know yet all the ramifications of this promise, but what we know is that the outcome can be different because God makes a covenant, because God offers a new way of being. By the way, this is so important for us. The possibility of you changing your life is not rooted in your ability to change your habits or change your mind or change your behaviors or to change your circumstances. The possibility of a fresh start in your life is rooted entirely in the initial action of the one true agent for change. Your fresh start is all about what God is doing and you getting involved in it. So, in this season of Advent, um, we are in the midst of maybe one of the most dramatic fresh starts um, where God comes to a little girl in a little town in Galilee and says, I want to do something new with you. I want to hit the reset button on the whole kingdom of God idea. God sends the angel Gabriel to Mary and says, your son will be great and called the son of the Most High, and Yahweh God will give him the throne of his ancestor David. He will reign over the house of Jacob forever, and of his kingdom there will be no end. After 500 years of being a conquered people, God says, hey, there's a day coming where you're not going to be a conquered people anymore where you're going to get back to the good old days when David was king and we were a, a major player on the scene and all the nations um, respected and feared our country and our God. Um, we're going to get back to that, but you know what? It might even be better than it was before. 
And all this possibility of transformation happens for just two reasons, because God offers a fresh start and because a teenage girl says yes to the scariest thing anyone's ever been asked to do. By the way, another covenant will come from this child, a new covenant, a sacred unbreakable promise through which God will constrain Himself. Through that covenant, God will offer to us individually what He first offered to the world and to all Israel, a new life, a fresh start, a reset with the opportunity, the option to be different. Sometimes we see that modeled in our lives and in the lives of people we love. Um, I want to share a, a story of a fresh start, and I'm going to ask uh, Drew Boucher to come join me. Come on, Drew, um, to help share some of that story. I'm going to grab that mic. Thanks, brother. Um, bring me up because I'm really insane. Yeah. yeah. That's why. <laughs> it's a, there's a whole scale of insanity, and there's, you're on it. I'm you're on way it. Up. Yeah, that's good. Um, so, uh, Drew um, has been a really uh, critical leader for our Celebrate Recovery ministry that we've been doing for a number of months, uh, a year and change here at Covenant. And um, we had a little bit of conversation, and he was willing to share some of his story of how God um, helped him reset or, or get a fresh start. And I thought maybe, Drew, you could share a little bit of that story, where you've been and how God brought you to where you are now. Sure. It's a long one, but the short version is for 10 years of my life, I uh, lived in a world of brokenness. I, um, everything from infidelity, uh, promiscuity, drugs, alcohol, uh, dominated my life, and it created a lot of brokenness, not just within myself and my vertical relationship with my Savior, but also the people around me, these relationships, um, those were broken as well. And so I lived in that life. I, I chose to walk away and do my own thing and live selfishly. And it was very dramatic, um, but I was just living out a very dramatic version of what we all deal with, and that's selfishness in our life. And I took it to an extreme. But I was redeemed before all of this ever happened, but it was a real visual story of redemption. I had people um, who should not forgive me, forgive me, um, and brought me back into the fold. And I was never lost. That's the crazy thing about it. I had people praying for me that whole time. And so here I am now today, and it, it is truly a story of being reset, and I lived out a flood, and was wiped clean, and now I have this new journey to walk, walk in, and it is one that involves a lot of work, a lot of daily work, and it will never end for the rest of my life, yeah. and we'll talk about it a little bit more here, but this pertains to us all, mm -hmm. and again, my story is dramatic, but... I'm looking at a lot of people here, everybody here, with hurts, hang-ups, and habits. Yeah. Every single one of us. So, Yeah. Um, one of the really exciting pieces of your fresh start, so uh, 10 years ago when this journey began, uh, you and Megan got divorced. Uh, at that point, um, of course, you had Abram, and um, you went through everything you just described, and then I think God really dramatically partnered with you to bring you out of that. And then we just, the, the best part of your fresh, well, one of the best parts 
of your fresh start was that restoration and um, getting remarried to your wife and reconnecting your family together. Um, and uh, for me, one of the great privileges of my life was just being at that wedding and seeing, knowing a little bit of that journey and seeing how dramatically God had, had put things to rights again in your life. It's pretty awesome. So. Uh, I mean, it's, uh, it is. It's a story of the power of prayer. Um, I know that Megan, even in her hurt, I walked away from that relationship. So I created the hurt. And yet she continued to pray and pursue unwillingly many times because mm-hmm. she was hurt. Um, and then just had the strength and fortitude and this relationship in her life to say, I need to restore this relationship with a dude who walked away from me. Wow. Yeah. And that's amazing. And I also know that my mother was prayer. Uh, that whole time I had people praying for me. And I had hedges around me. There could have been so much more destruction. I had it all. I had DUI. I mean, you name it, I went through it. And yet there was protection through that prayer. And so, it, yeah, I mean. It's amazing. Yeah. Yeah. So um, one of the real gifts um, that you have after going through that journey is you want to work with God to help other people find that fresh start and we have a ministry called Celebrate Recovery. Some folks know about it, um, but can you just very briefly summarize what Celebrate Recovery is? Briefly. Oh. Sorry. Uh, yeah. Okay, so the, the name itself is a little, it, people might be a little, pause a little bit at Celebrate Recovery. You immediately go to alcohol, drugs. Not for me. This is celebrating recovery from our brokenness. Mm. Everybody has brokenness in their life. Again, everybody has hurt in their life. Everybody has hang-ups. The hang-ups are those things that are deterring us from this relationship. And everybody has habits. Please raise your hand if you have a habit that you think you, you don't need to change anything in your life. Right. Yeah, please don't raise your hand. Because yeah. we all do. And so those are the three things that we focus on in Celebrate Recovery. We have people in our group that have They've never struggled with alcohol. They've never struggled with drugs. Um, it may be food, an unhealthy relationship with food. It might be pornography, gambling. And even those, those bad habits, those destructive behaviors aside, you may be struggling with grief. That's your hang-up. You may be struggling with relationships in your life that you've broken, not through drugs, alcohol, and those things, but just out of anger. We all have them, and this is a group for everybody. And it is also a safe group. Everybody there has acknowledged their brokenness. You will not receive any judgment whatsoever. Yeah, that's awesome. Who am I to judge if you come in and you're struggling with grief? Look at what I've done in my life. So it's it's a place of comfort, safety, so that we can work through those things together and restore this relationship first along with these relationships. Love it. Um, There's been all this really interesting research about um, habit and behavior change, and um, there's a great book called The Power of Habit that that details some of this. One of the things that was really striking for a 
sort of the secular researchers in behavioral science was that ministries like Celebrate Recovery and AA um, had more success than just the normal clinical behavior replacement therapy, even though they, they basically have the same methodology. And um, what both the secular researchers um, and the leaders of CR and AA came back and kept saying over and over again was, oh, I guess the difference is God. The difference is that we don't have the ability to actuate change on our own. We can't make our own fresh start. Um, but those places where we ask God to be the originator, the agent of change for us, um, allow us to get going again in a way that we can't get going on our own. You're, you're kind of a living proof of that. The first step, so there are multiple lessons and steps that you go through in working through these issues. Um, later on, you start listing things in your life. I mean, it's a real breakdown of the roots of things in your life. But the first thing, the first thing you deal with is that you are powerless. Yeah. You have no power or control over your life, your problems, your issues. None. And that is when you get to that bottom and say, I need this. Yeah. Love I it. am powerless. I need this. Love it. And that's powerful. It is. That's awesome. Um, hey, can we thank Drew for sharing his story with us this morning? I think the challenge for us is to recognize that that fresh start that God offers in the season of Advent, the fresh start He offers through the new creation, the fresh start He offers um, even through something like Celebrate Recovery um, comes down to the simple recognition, uh, as Drew just said, that we are not the ones who will make things better. So if you are in a season in your life where you recognize you have a hurt or a habit or a hang-up, something that you can't get over on your own, welcome to the human race. Uh, and I hope you'll consider checking out Celebrate Recovery. Talk to me or talk to Drew. Um, we meet, they meet on Tuesdays at 6 p.m., and there's more information in your bulletin. Uh, I just want to say one last thing. Uh, I know I'm over, um, but there's really one interesting piece that happens at the end of this story. Uh, at the end of the story in Genesis 9, after God talks about the fresh start and after He makes the covenant promise, He talks about a sign of His promise. You notice that? And, and it's, He talks about it a lot. What's the sign? The rainbow. Yeah, it's the rainbow. Uh, and, and it's weird because God says it's going to be the way that God remembers not to flood the world again, as though God needs to be reminded of how the fresh start is supposed to go. So, here's, here's my thought. Um, my thought is it's not actually God that needs to be reminded, um, that, that we are the ones that need to remember how new life begins, how the reset is supposed to occur. And, and the cross is our rainbow, the cross is that sign under which we are reminded that Messiah has come, that the kingdom of God is among mortals, that we can stand in it today by the blood of a new covenant, by an unbreakable promise that God wants to do something fresh in our lives, and that God will never forget about that. Um, but He calls us to be a people who remember, remember the promise, remember that He is the agent of change. And remember that it begins by giving our lives over to Him. God will be different, and God will remember.